If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, helps people think critically about women's health issues, encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App. And that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. Thank you for uh, tuning in, and thanks for all the nice emails the past couple of weeks uh, congratulating me on on our new home. And uh, I got a really nice one from Kelsey, which I'd like to share. She said, uh, a friend of mine just turned me on to your podcast, and I listened to them all in one week. I work in a health field, but generally don't like health shows or podcasts because they're either too technical or overly opinionated, and they play on our weaknesses and fears of getting ill, dying, or worse, the perfect diet and being super physically fit, which I find extremely challenging with my hours and in my field of work. I'm also a parent. Uh, I found your conversations to have real depth and at the same time, a lightness. It's so refreshing to hear the stories of people who are doing positive work, especially at this moment in time in our country. You and your guests also have done a great job of simplifying complicated subjects without dumbing them down. Kudos to you. Each episode is like a mini course. Can't wait for more. I'm a huge fan and will be donating to your Patreon page today. Can't wait for the next episode to post. Thank you, Kelsey. This is exactly why I do this. It's incredibly sweet of you to reach out and and let me know. This fuels me and keeps me going. Um, I love to get feedback like this. And thank you for donating to the project as well. We are in the process of building our blog and resource site and every dollar counts right now. Uh, If anyone else would like to donate to Highway to Health, uh, you can go to our Patreon page. It's patreon.com forward slash highway to health. My next guest was recommended uh, to me by a listener as well. So shout out to Liz for making the effort to suggest I have a conversation with Dr. Corey Schuler, who was kind enough to meet with me. Really, really great guy. Really interesting to learn the arc of his career. Started in nursing, then went to school for chiropractic and later got led to a graduate program in nutrition. Uh, He's now making a name for himself in the growing field of functional medicine because he kept getting drawn back to the gut, whether it was working with orthopedic issues, polycystic uh, ovarian syndrome, headaches, you name it. There seemed to be a connection to the digestive tract. We had a really nice chat and got into some, I think, pretty thought-provoking subject matter. And I even had a chance to ask a few health-related questions about boosting immune function, uh, which, you know, as a parent and uh, busy career person, I've, I find I often need help with. Uh, his He shares his story uh, of his career and how he was led to the work that he's doing right now um, and mixes in some humor, even drops a half-baked movie reference. Here's my conversation with Dr. Corey Schuler. Just, just kind of going back through your your history, you've kind of done your studying all over the place. Yep. <laughs> how did you How did you end up up in all these different places and then end up in Hudson, Wisconsin? <laughs> well, I, it, I it's a long circuitous route, right? So the challenge was trying to figure out what I what was the 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 questions that I really wanted to ask, right? And so I did my undergrad in Indiana, and I went yep. to school in Indiana just because I thought it was. Um, it was a good school. It was a good, um, good scholarship. Which, which to be school honest. was it? it was Valparaiso oh, University. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right outside of Chicago and had a good undergrad experience, got really well trained in research chemistry and was planning to do inorganic chemistry, materials, polymer, paint research. Huh. And, uh, at some stage, and it was a, it was a, a bright sunshiny day in Virginia that I realized this, that, uh, I didn't want to study paint and polymers and, um, 
not that there's anything wrong with it, but it just wasn't what I wanted to do. Yeah. So um, I was working at NASA, Langley uh, Air Force Base, and uh, it was really cool. It was kind of an honor to, to be there yeah. and uh, just didn't want to do that. Decided that, uh, you know, healthcare was probably the direction that I'd been avoiding the pull. Uh, huh. So I started to do my, my due diligence. And ultimately, I knew that I wanted something that was relatively flexible. Um, and so based on a, a few mentor conversations, I end up going to chiropractic college back in Minnesota, which okay. is where I was originally and from. And at Northwestern? Yeah. Okay. So I went to Northwestern. I've, I, I've, I, um, I've done some lecturing there. I, I, I didn't go to school there, but one of my uh, colleagues who went to chiropractic school there is yeah. now the dean of the massage school there. So okay. she's had me there talking about special populations because sure, I've sure. worked with babies and yeah. it's kind of been my field. So Yeah. And I did find it to be flexible. The, the chiropractic degree yeah. was uh, was diverse um, and, and unique. And uh, um, what I realized is that I, I just wanted to know more. There was yeah. reasons why people had to be adjusted frequently. And yeah. I didn't like that. I yeah. wanted to figure out what could I what could I do to prevent them to have to come in. And so we started looking at things like um, what's going on on the inside. Um, is it mm -hmm. and, and I guess by and large, I have this mindset of, of integrative medicine, like what else is causing it? If I had to be like, this is what's wrong and this is what to do about it. And it's sort of the same solution over and over again. Mm -hmm. I just go crazy. Like I just can't. No, I, I, that. I, that's, that's where I come from too. I mean, I, my curiosity was the nervous system Yeah. because I started feeling like I'm dealing with energy issues. I'm dealing with a lot of, you know, early on in my career, dealing with people with like back spasms, just, you know, the, the sort of common things, a lot of TMJ right. and realizing that the, the nervous system is the underlying part of this that I'm, I'm really curious about. And I just couldn't stop going down that path. Sure. Yeah, no, I, and, and so it's certainly a huge player to all of these underlying conditions, right? right? Uh, we think about chronic disease in a certain way, right? You, uh, in terms of functional medicine, the, you know, autonomic or the, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous yeah. system balance is one thing that we focus uh, pretty considerably on in addition to things like mitochondrial health and right. stress response and um, another few more factors that uh, play a role in in good health. So, so what did you do with the, the chiropractic degree to start out with? Where did you, where did you take that? So I was in, uh, my first started practicing in Owatonna, Minnesota. I worked out of somebody else's office yeah, yeah. for a while and uh, that worked out really well. And, uh, I started getting, I was lecturing to bring in people as just a marketing thing. Um, just talking about chronic disease and functional medicine. And in 2007, that was a pretty new yeah, yeah. thing. Um, and a mentor of mine here in, uh, in the twin Cities said, you need to create a swirl. That's, I remember him saying it really specifically. And, uh, so what I did was I, I marketed myself like an hour and a half radius away from Owatonna. Yeah. So I would lecture in, uh, the Southern twin cities and Mankato and Rochester. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and then if, and people local in Owatonna started hearing about why is this new guy have all these people coming from so far away? Yeah. So that was sort of how I, how I did it. Um, cause I did have people coming from quite a distance and, yeah. um, a lot of people came from Rochester. And so uh, I ended up opening up a second practice in Rochester, okay. Minnesota. And, and was it in, in any relationship to what was going on at Mayo there or, did you, did you end up collaborating with, with doctors down there? Or? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I tried to, I got to know some of them and, uh, and they had, we'd find, I treated some of them, yeah. um, but none of them were willing to write in the it's, notes. It's funny, right? Because I, I've, I've worked <laughs> in clinics before too, where, because craniosacral therapy in uh -huh. 1999, when I first started practicing, it was like totally out there. And yet, right. you know, the, the, the research had been going on since the seventies and really it's just an old form of medicine. It's just sure. osteopathic work. So yep. it, it, it is what chiropractic <laughs> became right. and, and got changed. But the, the, the thing that I've noticed whenever I get brought into like really professional settings is I end up treating all this, all the doctors and staff who are yep. there because doctors tend to be way overloaded in their lives. Right. They're, they have a lot of like issues as far as their nervous system and I'm sure gut health issues. And, yeah. but I, but I'm finding just, just from even from doing this podcast and from people that I've worked with in the past few years that we're, we're being listened to on a, on a, in a different way. There's, there's something going on right now where people are sort of starting to listen to like the, the underlying things because 
we we realize that food is our medicine and that taking care of ourselves our our, our lifestyle day to day is really the biggest thing that we need to be working on mm-hmm. yeah absolutely uh, there's a shift occurring um, yeah. underneath our feet and um yeah i i, I kind of laugh because i hadn't thought about this in a long time but i mean we saw i think it was like we we did a calculation one time about in, in our practice i think it was like 37% or something of our patients were healthcare practitioners. We saw <laughs> oh physical therapists and nurses and nurse practitioners, PAs and, and medical physicians. Um, it was a very, cause we spoke their language. Yeah. We just weren't them. <laughs> right. And they're able to hear us for that reason. And in a way they are the people who are sending us the, the, the right kinds of, of patients a lot of times. Right. So it's, yeah. That's important. So, so, so early on, you started. So, right, right out of the gate, basically, you got you got interested in functional medicine. Yeah, and, absolutely. And did did you what, what kind of training did you do in that? What where did you where did you go for that? Well, to kind of jump in the DeLorean and go backwards a bit, um, my first lecture prior to starting chiropractic college was in. Uh, from a guy named Jeffrey Bland, who's sort of known as the the godfather mm. of functional medicine. And I didn't know who he was. I just saw nutrition and he had some chronic disease title. And I was like, oh, that sounds like I, what I kind of want to do. I want to yeah. hear what he has to say. And it was like a three-day seminar. And uh, I just sucked in every word that he said. And he talked about the body's, uh, the body's like metabolic acupuncture points. And I was really into it. Um, So I got an early start in functional medicine. And then all through the chiropractic program, I studied it. And then right from the chiropractic program, I went into a a full-on graduate program in nutrition, um, which was geared towards functional medicine. So, And where did you get that from? I went to the University of Bridgeport in Connecticut. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you did jump around a bit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, I, not grounded uh, anywhere, apparently. <laughs> so, so did you, did you stay out there for any period of time or did you come right back here? Yeah, it was a, it was an online program for the most part. Um, but I ended up, I did move out there. Um, and, uh, I worked out there as well. Um, and we found that, uh, it was, it was a great place to sort of, it's a different atmosphere as far as that type of medicine goes. Um, there's a lot of naturopathic physicians in that area. And so we had a lot of different, uh, interactions that I, I probably could have never gotten here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, we were out there until 2011. Um, and then I, I, we moved back, uh, okay. to, to the twin cities area, but my wife is from here. And so okay. we wanted to be near grandpa and grandma. Yeah. Like, yeah. Little boy. Where, where did you grow up? In western Minnesota, uh, the farm essentially Granite okay. Falls. Oh, Granite Falls. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, did, was did you notice anything different when you started treating out in in Connecticut? Were you were you dealing with anything different compared to what you had been dealing with here in the like, yeah. Rochester area? Yeah, I had to specialize. Okay. Um, because we, uh, it it was it was one thing to say, oh, I do functional medicine, and it's sort of a, a weird look at medicine or a different look yeah, at medicine. Yeah. Um, that worked here. Um, but it didn't work there because everybody was saying that. And so <laughs> right. um, I, I picked a condition and uh, sort of out of a hat. It made sense at the time, but I wanted to learn more about um, a condition that women have called polycystic ovarian syndrome. Oh, yeah. And very common. Yeah. And there's uh, they throw meds at it. And they these women, they get diagnosed by different people. Either mm-hmm. it could be their dermatologist or their endocrinologist, their OBGYN, family doctor. And kind of depending on where they get sucked into the system, they're treated differently. Yeah. And most of them, a lot of them end up at like a assisted reproductive uh, endocrinologists trying to get pregnant because it's a big cause of infertility. And I just saw this like mess. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and I, I wanted to know what it was, um, how to figure it out, and I started getting kind of good at it. So I said, okay, let's let's kind of go full throttle and help these women. Yeah, and and it got you deeper into like the the biochemistry endocrine system stuff, which I'm sure just opened up a whole floodgate of. Yeah, it it opened up the floodgate uh, considerably, which is odd because as soon as I as soon as I sort of focused in is really when I I started seeing a lot of people. Um, and when I had to be, I had to change my systems and things just to make sure I could keep up with the flow of it, which is odd, right? You'd think like, Oh, I'm sort of a general practitioner. I can see anything. I can, but when I was a bit of a specialist, that's when, uh, people were attracted to that. Yeah. And, but in, in some ways you also, I'm sure you, you end up dealing with people who like, they, they get sent to you. You, you think that they're going to be, or, you know, somebody else thought it was for you, but really, 
any specialized thing, you're going to end up dealing with something that's like a little nuanced and there's yeah. variability to it. So then you still have to be flexible and use use your many backgrounds <laughs> to, right. to treat. Yeah. Well, the thing is, and anybody with a condition doesn't just have that condition. They're right. still but that's just it. a person. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They still have other stuff going yeah. on. So uh, while I was treating women with PCOS, you know, then I was working with their, their husbands and, and their issues. And I was yeah. working with women with PCOS and their gut problems and a number of things came of that. So Yeah. I mean, that's that was sort of what happened to me when I, when I went from really doing more orthopedic work into working with newborns and... And even working with mothers through the, you know, prenatal to postnatal process. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things that sort of flare up during that time period. So I'm kind of dealing with all those things. And, you know, I, I, I they weren't always for me, but, but I, but I got to be involved in a lot of conversations around that. And, and I think that's a, that's an important part of things. Like specialization is, is good because you, you become an expert in, in some field that allows you to have conversations with people who are sort of connected to that field. Right. I think there are a lot of people who are sort of dishing on, on specialization right now, yeah. but I don't necessarily think it's, it's all bad either. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's specialization and, and being myopic is right. maybe a bad thing, but right. being a specialist and sort of knowing the network is is pretty interesting. We, uh, I started to learn like people like neighboring practitioners prescribing habits. Yeah. Like when somebody would come to me and they said they listed who they've seen for their condition, yeah. I kind of already knew what kind of treatment they had had, right. and so that was uh, I mean that was a leg up. I wouldn't have had that as a just a general practitioner yeah. so and something different that i you know that i noticed from because I, I grew up here was in new york for 13 years and came back was was that you know for at least 10 of those 13 years i was slammed <laughs> with my practice mm -hmm. and there's there's something to be said for really having to deal with things on the fly all the time like that in a way that i wouldn't have had i think had i started my practice i mean i'd started my practice in minneapolis but had i done my full time I mean, minneapolis has changed a lot since the late 90s sure, <laughs> so sure. that's that's another part of it but i but i feel like you know even even for someone who who grew up in like a small town in western minnesota i feel like going to a place like that and 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 seeing such like intense variety and being bombarded with it in, in the way that if someone finds out you're good in a in a place on the east coast there's the, the volume of people that end up sort of flowing into you is it's a little overwhelming at times right. yeah I, I learned sort of the the, the back side of marketing right I, if i right i could only my marketing was only as good as what people could repeat about me right. and when right. i was in minnesota people would refer to me as like like almost in derogatory terms, like just go see him. He's like a shaman or like, you know, oh, I know I, I dealt with some of that stuff too. The, the, the guru aspect of, of, of what you do. I started, I started diffusing that early on just cause I realized yeah. it wasn't empowering them. So, no. that, you know, the, so then I carried this around as if I had to like fix everyone's problems. Right. I, I started realizing that's not going to work for yeah. me. It's so much easier when they can just say, Oh, you have that condition go see him. He knows some things about that condition right. and they can repeat it. And anyway, so that was where I, that's where I learned my, uh, some of my business marketing. Yeah, kind of yeah for sure. So, so then, so when you came back to Minnesota, where did you land? So I was uh, I was in Apple Valley. Okay. Um, we just I, again we moved back, so I was just getting my roots about me, and uh, I was renting space again, um, starting over from scratch, and, and kind of liking it. Like, hey, I get to start fresh and, and do yeah. things new. And I brought some of the the PCOS stuff with me, mm -hmm. um, but uh, I knew that wasn't it's not really what I wanted to do. I just really did fall into it um, out east. So when I um, started there, I, I started looking back more at the, the orthopedic work as well as the connection to what's causing those orthopedic things to keep coming back. And my mind kept drifting back to it's probably something that they're eating. The nutrition background obviously yeah. fed that. And then uh, uh, is there something wrong with the gut? We were seeing a lot of low back pain patients. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, everybody that we saw, if we asked, we learned, yep, I do have gut issues. Yep, I have constipation. Yep, I have diarrhea or I have both or yeah. something's wrong with the gut. I yeah. heartburn. <laughs> right. And and so were you still treating with chiropractic work as well, or had you, yeah, you kind of shifted a little? I never really stuck to one modality yeah, ever. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, uh, to a large degree, it's always like people find me based on the modality they sort of resonate yeah. with the best. Yeah. Um, but just because that's what we're licensed in, we're also licensed in other things. So we try to just fit the treatment to whatever else they need. So usually people get a, a variety of things, but um, I've had people come to me saying, I know you're a chiropractor, but I don't want you to touch me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's fine because I have other other tools, other ways to work through that. And, so. and, and what a lot of people don't understand about chiropractors is that they've basically been through the same medical school that doctors have been through, only the specialization is different. Yeah, you, you have to. You basically have to learn everything. You know, you have to, from from pathology to medications and everything else. You you have to learn it. So sure. the first three years were were pretty similar. I think it does divert. We didn't get nearly the training in in medications. Okay, um, I got right. much more training in nursing school about the medications and all that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, unfortunately, as chiropractors, we don't really get a great residency program. Yeah. I think residency programs in uh, medical yeah, I school agree. are great. So yeah. So, and, and and do you think do you think that's something that could change or some kind of mentorship? Do you, do you have younger chiropractors looking to you for anything at this point? Um, not not to the same regard. Um, it's the infrastructure is not set up for it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a handful of good residencies, but the reality is is that uh, why as a new chiropractic graduate would you go through a residency program that's not required right. and nobody else has, um, and you're not getting compensated very well during that time period. So now you've delayed your, your earning potential for yeah. three more years. Yeah. Um, so the, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Whereas in, in medicine, you have to do it just to get licensed. Yeah. So the infrastructure is uh, pretty far behind. I, I know. And, and it's, and, and I've worked in clinics where a lot of new chiropractors have come to yeah. working with chiropractors myself yeah. and they, they also lack in any sort of business training. So, sure. and, and yet I think a lot of people going through chiropractic school want to be you know have their own private practice and I, I, even a lot of doctors these days i think are starting to kind of the, the more independent route is happening for a lot of people without any of that training i think that could be something that's like needs to get built into this this system of education yeah i and i would i would agree and, and also disagree a little bit on that because um i don't I, I know the professors I had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want them ch- teaching me business because most of them don't don't know it, right. um, or they don't know it from a um, uh, a relevant uh, recent perspective. Maybe yeah. they they ran a practice fifteen years ago. Yeah, I, well, I agree, I, I, and it's because the way the world is working. I mean, I I connected with you. I mean, via a listener. So I'll shout out to to the listener who who <laughs> you're my first guest that's come on the podcast as a result of someone saying, cool. "I really want you to have a conversation with this guy." <laughs> um, but but also because I've, I've I was more aware of you then on social media and seeing what you were starting to do with that and the way in which we sort of develop these audiences based on helping you know fill in the need of of what people are looking for from that conversation sure and that's a big part of what what i think that where things are going in in terms of there's a i think people come to me and it sounds like to you as well for education almost more than anything else sure they don't necessarily want us to put our hands on at this point yeah one of the fun parts for me is i i don't have a, a strict like program as far as what people expect. Um, I think there's been, there's a movement towards that because it sort of makes sense from a business model perspective. Um, I'm going to put you through this program and I visit one, we do this and I visit seven, we do this. And so I can put in extenders and other people to, to, Mm -hmm. to make that work. And, uh, and I've fought that, um, pretty considerably because I want anybody coming into me to bring me anything that they want. If you've Googled things and you've listened to podcasts and you've whatever, and you have information about what you think is applicable to your condition or your health status. Yeah. Uh, let's put it on this table and yeah. let's just sort it out together. Yeah. Um, because I might not know it and you might not know it, but together I think we can probably come to some conclusion and I run my visits essentially like, like project management meetings. Like mm-hmm. what, what's our goal? What are we trying to do? Yeah. What resources do we have to get there? Um, how aggressive do we need to be? How not aggressive can we be? Yeah. And uh, let's have those sorts of conversations. If there's anybody else that you need involved, let's have them involved too. And maybe timelines um, of things. And timelines. What are we? What are we? Like, what are we talking about? How how long, how much how much are we investing in this time wise? Yeah, exactly. And so I think that approach has gotten me uh, a lot of entrepreneurial type people. Yeah. Because 
because that's the language they speak. And so, um, the, so I'm seeing more of them. Yeah. I I think that's, I think that's important. I I was wondering about what you just be because of your, your broad background. And I, and I go through the same thing because I I do things from like movement based things to more, more body, body work based things. And then working in coordination with people who are, who are doing some, some functional medicine, trying to, trying to get a sense of like how, how they fit into with me and then who, who else they might kind of fit in with. Mm -hmm. And that, that intake, I feel like is becoming the more important part of the way that we sort of our, our practices in, in health in general, because they're, I feel like they're both information gathering sessions and we should probably be spending a lot. I mean, I spend, I plan an hour and a half for my first, you know, visits with people because, I, I want to make sure that it's like a, the relationship kind of gets built a little bit in that first session that just this kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, there's something that I feel like, I don't know if I'm a great match for this person. Sure. And that's, that's okay. It doesn't, yeah. it, then I don't have to be for everyone, but I feel like that, that real dialogue that happens in there is where people start to get comfortable really telling you everything and, and getting a good scope of, of like who they've been working with over all this time, what they've tried, what's worked and hasn't worked. And, you know that's that I I don't I don't know how to get that from paper. No, it's not. It doesn't really work, and it, yeah. or maybe it does, but it's super inefficient. You yeah, know? I think so too. Yeah. I just don't want to recreate something that's already been done. Like I have an idea about what's being done, but maybe that's because somebody else thought so too, and they've yeah. already done that. They've already run the stool test, or they've already done the urinary right, hormone right. test, and so let's just see what's going on, and and I'll try to make some sense of it. So, so you, so you ended up from, from Apple Valley. Did you come to Hudson? Is that where you? Yeah. My, my business partner, uh, uh, current business partner moved back to this area and he was living in Stillwater and, uh, and I live in Cottage Grove, Minnesota. And so we say, he's like, do you want to, you know, treat people (laughs) uh, closer to home? And I said, well, I I don't, I don't mind where I'm at, but you know, let's, let's talk through it a little bit. Cause we were together in Rochester. Okay. Okay. And, uh, so he said, this is uh let's try this. And so we looked for practices to buy. We looked for, you know, spaces available. Um, this was sort of in the middle in between, uh, the, our two homes. And yeah. so we said, this is probably a, a pretty good spot for us, set up shop and, um, dedicated, uh, a little bit more resources to specialization again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this time we went down the path of, of headache pain, okay. um, and, and GI health. And so we advertised, uh, primarily with the, the headache pain. We wanted to build up some of that manual right. medicine type practice yeah. worked out really well. And, and w- I mean, maybe two months into, into practice, we realized right away that this is not going to be much of a manual medicine practice because we were seeing migraine headaches yeah. that had been recalcitrant to, you know, they've seen 10 different chiropractors in town. Yeah. Well, we are going to, we're not that special. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, uh, it ended up being more nutrition oriented. Yeah. I mean, and it makes sense because it's, it seems like it's where your specialization started to go in the first place. Yeah. And, and the fact that you've been in it for 10 years or something is, is like at, at this point, there aren't as many people, you know, with that kind of experience out there doing this kind of work. So, but, and I, and I've, I've worked with a few, I think I noticed that we had a, some connection when I got on LinkedIn, actually the champions in the naturopathic world I worked with for a period of time as a husband and wife. Um, so, and, and, and they were also, I think in, in newer to this, you know, I, I worked with them maybe four years ago. Sure. And I, and I think that there, it's just at this point right now where we, we have to start figuring out ways to do some of these things without, I mean, and from like a, a pharmaceutical point of view, so much force yeah, <laughs> and things that are actually nutrition based so, sure. so that we're sort of, you know, feeding the deficiency, the deficiency in that way. Mm-hmm. For a long time, I I was like, well, I, I do natural medicine, or I would tell people that I practice natural medicine. And uh, the reality was, I kind of, as I, especially when I started to learn more about medications, there's some medications that I, have a pretty good safety profile and that uh, that, that work pretty well, yeah. um, and they're efficacious, right? And so um, as I started learning, especially the my nursing education, it really drove home the idea that um, I need to just be pay attention to what's safe and effective. Yeah. You know, what's safe and effective. And it just happens to be that, that nutrition and breathing and exercise are super safe. Right. Um, so you can really push on those pretty hard. Yeah. Um, they're not always as effective as we want them to be. Um, we sometimes just need to change the dose on that, though. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I, where I've kind of, you know, hovered around that, that realm. The fact that I was seeing so many results 
and I could, because I had, I'd kind of come into this, this world of uh, holistic medicine without really planning on it as a career. Mm -hmm. I was a struggling musician (laughs) going down that road with a BA in English. So I I was really kind of more interested in, I was uh, planning to be a teacher and probably a writing and I'd done a writing school for a little while and done all that. And I think, so when I came in, I really thought about it more from an educational point of view and Mm -hmm. starting realizing that once I started helping people with w- using body work of some sort, getting them out of that pattern, then I wanted to like retrain that pattern in, in their in their body and in, the, in the, some of the bad habits that they had posturally. So I kind of went down that path. But just that that I was seeing so many results, you know, both from like nervous system perspective, from gut health perspective, all these different things that would change when people would start, you know, changing their lifestyle and ex- and just adding exercise. Sure. And I and I think you know your piece. Is is that kind of final piece the thing that I was just too much for me to go down? But I feel like that's that's what kind of needs to happen. Sure. And and I and I'm I, I'm it's kind of you know at this point in my in my career, I, I feel like it needs to be a, a much bigger part of the of the medical establishment. And I think I think there is change. I think it's it's I'm starting to hear about it everywhere. It's certainly uh, you're certainly hearing about it. I actually just got contacted today uh, by the Cleveland Clinic. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll be speaking in there in February as a, a guest speaker and they want to hear more about what I do, how I do it, uh, some of the ins and outs that they specifically want to know some of the protocols that I use, um, and they want to incorporate it into their center. So, so, so your focus, and we talked a little bit before we got on mic about, uh, small intestinal, uh, bacterial overgrowth, SIBO, yeah. I guess what yeah. people call it. Um, and what what is your how 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 did you get into that and and what are you using for treatment for that at this point? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a little bit backwards too, but I helped develop um, a product that was useful for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and so in the marketing and the promotion of that product, I ended up going to a lot of the seminars and the scientific conferences that yeah. were focused around this thing, and uh, and SIBO really got popular by a, a gentleman named Mark Pimentel um, out of Cedar sinai in LA. Okay. And uh, he runs the motility um, center or motility dysfunction center. Okay. Um, and he is interested in, in this thing, this thing that we call SIBO. And so I've been paying a lot of attention to him and um, the other thought leaders who have sort of developed around this condition. And it's very how do I say it's it's a very popular it's got good public relations <laughs> because yeah. um, now that we know about it and we have some good ideas on how to treat it it's become sort of a popular thing to diagnose in the the gastroenterology and right. naturopathic community and and within that I'm sure these are things that have existed for a long time right we're just coming up with names for them and there's and we will we'll break this down in, into different parts as we go along sure. as well but but what, what is your take on on how this what what is the what what causes this kind of development in the body well, uh, and we used to call something similar, maybe it was the same thing, dysbiosis, um, yeah, just yeah. a change in what's going on in, in gut health. Right. Um, now we sort of refer to dysbiosis as what's going on in the small in, or in the large intestine, um, and then small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or small intestinal microbial overgrowth is what's happening in the, the small intestine. Um What's going on is, is up for debate. <laughs> um, one of the major causes of it, we believe, is an, an infectious process. So um, acute gastroenteritis or food poisoning mm-hmm. um, is, could be a really great way of developing it because you... Um, in the immune system sort of gets triggered mm-hmm. and starts attacking things. And there's, uh, there's certain... How do I say? There's certain chemicals that cause the the gut to move in one direction, like a one-way highway, you're supposed to move from, from your mouth to your anus. And that's right. the, that's the motion and it goes, but for some reason that stalls out. And we know that there's something called post-infectious, um, IBS. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that sort of is getting roped into this small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. So food poisoning or an event like that is a common cause. We also think that sometimes it's just really high fermentable, food diet sometimes that's just standard mm-hmm. american fare yeah a lot of high higher fiber uh low glycemic foods which we usually think are good for us it's yeah. good for our blood sugar good for um like our lipid panel and that sort of thing but actually can be if things are in the wrong place can cause a lot of gas bloating um pain essentially all these cardinal symptoms of ibs yeah and and is there is there something that happens 
from like a food poisoning episode that that just from a just from the physio- physiological standpoint that changes the the gut yeah there's uh there's antibodies that are produced they're called anti-vinculin antibodies okay. and it basically just throws a monkey wrench in those in that motility the mo- motility complexes are called migrating motor complexes or mmcs and those migrating motor complexes don't don't function anymore okay so you can think, think of like macro motility that just means like how often you're having a bowel movement right um but the reality is that the, that sort of follows the pattern of you eating if you eat something about 18 hours later you should have a bowel movement and that should be the contents of that should be expelled right but after you're done eating and there's not that bolus of food there's this like housekeeping wave they call it okay it sort of travels through and it's that that nice strong wave that goes through the esophagus, the stomach, the small intestine, and mm-hmm. large intestine, and just keeps pushing all the other uh, leftover debris out, just like a street sweeper right. would. Um, and that that's the part that's broken. It's not the big stuff; it's the the micro motility that's. And failing. is the wave in the tissue or in the in the fluid contents in the in the stomach? How, how does it's that... a muscular contraction? Muscular contraction. Yeah, it's yeah. sort of a, a cool. I mean, if you think about it, like it has to the the front of that wave has to open up like or, or distend the let's say the small intestine it has to open it up right so it has to relax right because all the muscles can do is contract right. so that relaxes and opens up the area and then the area right behind the bolus of food or the housekeeping wave has to squeeze really tight to push mm-hmm. it into that empty space and then now it has to do that over and over and over again all in a coordinated right. fashion like yeah. an orchestra yeah and so you can see now when you think of it like that it's easy to see. Well, if, if the tubas are off, the whole thing sounds like crap. Right, and and you can sort of understand it if, especially if the the body goes into rejection mode. Right, it's trying to just. I mean, it's it's doing its job to try to detox whatever this yeah. whatever this foreign thing is. Mm-hmm. But you know, the process may back things up, <laughs> yeah. back up through the mouth. You can you know anything can happen at that point. So it has to somehow be be reset. What what's the is is there any 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 trick to resetting this? Uh, potentially, um, we haven't gotten to the full on answer of that. We're we're looking at some things, but what we now know is that when we stall out that motility, the bugs that live and happily belong in the large intestine yeah. now they move northward, and it's sort of yeah. like. Uh, I hate for anybody to admit having seen this movie, but there's a, a movie called Half Baked from the 90s. Oh, yeah. And, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. And they say they have <laughs> they have the guy on the couch as a character, right? Yeah. Yep. And it's they it's their friend who's sort of, you know, they, they get along with this person. And uh, it's fine if you, your friend stays on the couch for a day or, or even two. <laughs> but when they never leave, it's not that you hate your friend and right, right. you don't want to kill your friend. You just want them to yeah. go to where they're supposed to go. And so that's kind of the idea of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It's an unfortunate name because it's it sort of sounds like an infection. Right. Uh, when the reality is it's just an overgrowth of the good guys in the wrong spot. Gotcha. So, so you know, if from my layman's perspective, as far as what I know about this stuff, uh, a lot of people like myself would probably tend to say, "Okay, do I need do I need probiotics at this point?" Or you know, but I know that just from being around this field enough that it's not always the answer. Yeah, uh, can you speak on that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean. It- because probiotics have a role in IBS and those sorts of things, they're usually tried. One of the things that I pay attention to in a, in a history or an intake is if probiotics make you feel bad, then I'm mm. going down the path of this might be small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Because most probiotics on the market have a, uh, a prebiotic or something, some growth factor yeah. with them. And so that actually spurs on this growth of the right bacteria in the wrong place gotcha, yeah and so if probiotics make you feel bad that's like one of those like ding 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 moments for me where i'm like oh let's pay attention to this um the reality is is that pimentel and others have said well let's let's treat this as if it's infection and let's let's provide antibiotics and there's that sounds sort of terrible to some people to throw antibiotics at it when you don't really know what it is right. but the reality is that it, it kind of works yeah. it doesn't work for a long time usually but it, it starts to work there's some newer antibiotics out here that don't work systemically because that's sort of the main problem with antibiotics is they go through the bloodstream and they dismantle things like your mitochondria and your energy sources. Um, but there's some that are just luminal. They sort of stay. They're not absorbed well, so they stay and they only kill the things that are inside the tract. Yeah. Um, one of those things is called rifaximin. It's a common antibiotic to uh, treat small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm. So that's one way of yeah. treating it. Um, we don't treat it that way, um, but it is a, an effective way of doing it. The other way of doing it 
instead of the like let's kill everything approach is to just maybe make, let's let's starve it or let's make it uncomfortable okay. and the starve it approach is something called an elemental diet um it's not a, a lifestyle diet it's sort of a, a specific procedure that we go through and uh the one the way to make people uncomfortable or way to make the bugs uncomfortable enough not to stay there yeah, yeah. is through antimicrobial herbs um which aren't as powerful as the antibiotics but they sort of change the terrain enough yeah, you, so you, that, you make an unpleasant environment for them yeah, so they want to leave like yeah. like the guy on the couch yeah on, you just and, stop and... ordering pizza <laughs> that's right <laughs> So speaking of uh, of the starvation thing, I, I, there's also I feel like this, there's a there's a big wave in terms of what people are starting to talk about as far as fasting mm-hmm. and and even changes in the way that people you know think of fasting. I feel like you know ten years ago there was a big wave of the three day fast, mm-hmm. and now people are talking a lot more about about really just the, the the pacing of our diet as far as how we should be eating, yeah. you know, and the, the, the breaks in time that our body needs to basically do its detox process and metabolic process. Yeah. yeah. I'm, and, and I'm sure you have a lot of uh, thoughts well, on this. I, when I first started in practice, I would routinely lecture on eating six small meals a day and keeping your blood sugar in order and that sort of thing. And now I realize how much damage I was causing. Um, We found out soon after that that frequent eating is a risk factor for for gastrointestinal adenocarcinoma uh, because you just never give the gut a rest. Um, So I got into things like intermittent fasting and finding those approaches. I actually wrote a chapter in a textbook in regards to food and meal timing in association with the circadian rhythm. Right. And uh, now that's – there's – a study that just came out called the Adventist Two Health Study, and uh, that showed that for weight loss specifically, um, it's best to eat breakfast. Mm-hmm. It's best to have a five to six hour fast following breakfast, and then having an eighteen to nineteen hour fast. So basically, eat breakfast, eat a later lunch, and then don't and then eat don't again. eat the rest of the day. And so that was cool and popular in what the nineteen eighties with their yeah. aerobics instructors. Right, right. And uh and that frankly that was Jack LaLanne talked about this. <laughs> Old school chiropractor. <laughs> and it's um, come back around. And now we're we're full circle. And we have the the genetic information, the, the genomic, the proteomic, we have all of this sciencey stuff yep. to support really why it is and the epidemiologic studies. So the Adventist the study studied seventh day Adventists. They're an easy group to study um and because they're a relatively homogeneous group uh, mm-hmm. especially with dietary patterns there's yeah. a lot of studies that look at them as a group and what the what we're finding is that um the those epidemiologic studies or population-based studies ma- match our clinical studies yeah. um, match our basic science studies and so it's all sort of coming forward um, supper our most popular social meal is probably the least good for us <laughs> yeah and and is there anyone who for who that diet is not good for to 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 do these long periods of fasting? I mean, obviously people with some kinds of blood sugar type issues. Yeah, I would say like a poorly controlled type two diabetic, type right. one diabetic may not do as well. Um, but the traditions of uh, Ramadan and various you know sacred traditions have used fasting therapeutically, and so there's and they've used those procedures in people who have problems. And so I think under the right conditions, there's definitely ways to, to do that in a supportive way. Um, but we're also learning that fasting for a long period of time has its own challenges. So as a, as a nurse, I'm a, I'm a enteral and parenteral nutrition nurse, which means I put tubes in people and then put nutrients in those tubes. And so what we know from that is that if you put it, uh, put nutrients in an IV instead of through the gastrointestinal tract, yeah, the mucosa or the tissue in the gastrointestinal lumen atrophies. Okay. It starts to break down and not work and intestinal permeability increases. So that's leaky gut. Right. And all of these problems happen when you fast without sort of nourishing those local tissues. Yeah. On the flip side, not to speak out of both sides of my mouth, but extended water fasts are now being used for extreme weight loss. Mm -hmm. We've had people that have done water fasts for more than a year 
and been successful. Now I wouldn't do that, um, yeah. but I'm 160 pounds, so it's probably not going right, to go well for right. me. You know, these people are four or five hundred pounds, medically supervised, paying close attention to it. So there's a, a balance that we're learning about that. Yeah. But what we know is that uh, people do need gut rest to yeah. some degree. Yeah, and and is, um, with, with what you know uh, with the gut, is is there anything that that you think is helpful for people to understand about? Like this this time of year, I'm just starting to get the wave of people who are recovering from like pneumonias, the the immune system challenges that kind of happen at this time of year. Is there anything gut health wise that's that's helpful for people to understand, um, or that you advise when when you know people have been through a, have have a viral episode or something? Yeah, I mean, I would say fully recover is sort of the yeah. old adage that seems to make some sense. Um, I go after it pretty aggressively with some botanical medicine that. I think is pretty useful. There's a an herb called pelargonium that is known to shorten uh, flu and cold duration that I use pretty frequently. What's what's in that? Um, it's a it's a single plant. Pelargonium. That that's the name of the herb. Yeah, Pelargonium sedoides, and okay. that is a it's usually a, a ten to one extract that um, all the studies were based on, and that's been. Uh, I think a, a really great product to uh, go after. Also, I use elderberry um, okay. pretty commonly. Um, but the reality is, is that I can't pe- can't stop people from going back to work too early or taking on responsibility. Yeah, right, right. You know, too early. Uh, most people don't fully recover, rest, hydrate, and that causes lots of problems. Do you have any advice for me traveling a lot? Um, on, on, pla- on airplanes? On airplanes, I, I actually do. I have a so there's a, a significant amount of. Um, radiation that occurs in airplanes yeah, yeah. and so um even though melatonin is thought to be like a sleep uh, medication hmm. essentially um it has a really powerful antioxidant capacity and that's one of the things i use low dose uh, melatonin anytime you fly and i'm talking pretty low dose okay melatonin's usually at like three milligrams um on this in the store shelves but if you're looking at uh 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams per day you can get the antioxidant potential from it uh hydration seems to be a yeah. huge yeah. issue which airports are paying attention to now with more fountains and, and refillable um container uh areas so um that's great but most people can't get enough water when you travel yeah and like i that. and I've, I've just noticed um because i do a, v- a very similar trip all the time that i the first day after i travel i i have like a crazy histamine thing that happens not every month. So, you know, sometimes I think it's like a seasonal allergy type thing, but I've just started relating it to the fact that it's, it, it could be related to the, to the flying or to something that's some kind of, you know, endocrine system response that sure. my body is, you know, either, either doing battle with something and I just don't know what it is. I'm sure yeah. you, you have some insights or would, might, might have some idea for yeah, me. Yeah. Well, we should follow my own advice. I travel about 130,000 miles a year via okay. plane. And okay. so I'm uh, constantly uh, trying to do the do the same thing and keep myself healthy. Um, and I fail to recover oftentimes yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but those responses can be anything from just the recirculating air in the airplane and people being sick and gross yeah, and yeah. the perfumes that people wear. It's It astounds me when I walk into an airplane and people have put on their best perfume <laughs> uh what's going on here you, you know I mean, at, least, gonna... at least they're not smoking anymore <laughs> yeah although they do still they do come and that must be an faa regulation they have to say no smoking on this flight but yeah yeah I there's know. been no smoking for like 40 years like on the flights <laughs> well actually I, I i took a flight overseas in maybe early 90s and there was still smoking on flights. really yeah and and it, for overseas flight, I think this was this was something. At one point, there was still there was still overseas. That's 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 not that long ago. It's kind of amazing. And I and I just can't. And I I mean, even now, if I if I travel abroad or go someplace and there's smoking in bars, it's it's it astounds me that you know yeah. 15 years ago or whatever it was that this, this is this was the norm. Yeah, that, I mean, I wouldn't when I first turned uh, first turned 21, I would never go to a, a bar because I would have like a anaphylactic reaction to smoke <laughs> and i went to california and was hanging out with some people in california and there was no smoking and for the first time and i was yeah. like well i don't want to go to the bar and they said well there's no smoking and it was awesome yeah and then it sort of caught on everywhere yeah. Yeah. very quickly so so let me ask you do you um do you do you have any health rituals you know part of this podcast is kind of exploring the idea of what health 
is in the first place sure. like what, what what does it look like how, how how do we kind of keep that balance and it's constantly changing because we're aging and sure. have all sorts of different conditions happening to us at any time do you is there anything that's sort of like your main you know go-to ritual everything for me uh fits into the category of circadian pattern and hmm. so my literally my schedule shifts based on the season um where i'll wake up usually prior to sunrise but sunrise changes right so right. i that changes pretty i get I'm much less productive in the winter <laughs> right um but these big shifts in when i wake up don't happen I, i'm really pretty consistent about when i wake up in that regard uh, i do most of my activity i try to get everything done in the morning essentially so my intense exercise has to happen in the morning if it doesn't happen in the morning I don't get to exercise intensely. It's sort of yeah. my, I don't know, it's punishment or something. <laughs> no, you didn't get to it, so now you don't get to. Yeah. Um, but intense exercise at night is really disruptive to circadian patterns. Um, and as far as like learning and um, re recalling information, it's best to do that at night, but it's best to be creative in the morning. Um, I happen to be a, a morning person, so that works. But yeah. even if you were a night owl and you like to stay up late, I have patients who like to you know stay up till two, three in the morning. Um, that pattern still holds. You're more creative in the morning. You yeah. can learn better at night. So it shifts for them. They're probably not waking up before dawn, but they might wake up, they might go to bed, at a different time that that category or that way of thinking yeah. seems to work so that's my probably primary yeah I, I i kind of know i mean and i also feel like different times of year i feel energetically drawn to like sure. being more active different times of day i, I, I mean i i follow kind of the same idea of morning time is my most creative time and mm -hmm. it's kind of when our energy is at as at its peak and you can kind of work with that and that, you know, I, I tend to do my mundane tasks later in the day when I can just, you know, sit there and have some tea and like, <laughs> yep. you know, go through something like that. But sometimes in the summers, I, or, you know, when it's the, the longer the longer days of the year, I find that I have this like urge late in the afternoon to go do something more active, whereas in the winter, I definitely don't. So I, sure. I try to follow like my my energetic flow as far mm -hmm. as that's concerned, too. It seems to yep. work a lot better for me. Yeah, that makes total sense. Um, do you, do you have any, any definition of health that you work with? Uh, I mean, honestly, I think that the one that we would Google with the, uh, world health organization is probably best. Um, and that's the, uh, uh, health is, uh, optimal uh, wellness, not just an absence of disease. Yeah. Um, it, it's overused frankly, and yeah. nobody has a great definition of yeah. what that really means when you get underneath the hood of that. Um, but the reality is, is that I think you can be there's healing that can occur at any stage in life or any point in your health status. So there's a, a great book, and I don't remember the author, called uh, Healing the Dying, hmm. uh, whereas people are terminally ill, yeah. but there's there's still uh, uh, the energetic or the uh, the spiritual aspect of healing that can take place at yeah. that time. Um, and so I used to th really have a sort of a more narrow uh, thought about optimization of health, like, yeah. oh, you don't have any symptoms and you're going to prevent all these other symptoms and that's optimization. But then I realized that that window sort of passes most of us after the age of about 23. Right. Um, <laughs> so um, what does that really mean? And, and again, I keep coming back to this, the nursing school really changed that for me. Yeah. You know, I would see people who are, who are sick, sick, but they're healing. They're never yeah, going to recover, right. but none of us are getting out of this thing alive. Right. So, it just it changed me dramatically. I think it's an important thing. It's an important part of dialogue to have, and and I and I've engaged in this quite a bit with people. I, you know, working with people with chronic, you know, pain conditions of of any sort, which has been I, I tend to work with uh, some you know decent percentage of of my of my patient population initially comes to see me because they've been labeled idiopathic and they're. Mm you know, usually working with somebody like you mm -hmm. <laughs> and a number of other, a number of other doctors. But I, I do think that it gets to a point in the conversation where, where, and I, and I kind of wish this happened earlier in intake 
which is kind of getting into these these questions which i you know maybe they they sort of go down that that uh, psychological emotional somatic experience that's going on that is related to our you know, we, this, this, can, this can be very broad, I think, in terms of what we call spiritual. But what, what is the state in our existence at the current moment, and what's what feels in need of healing? Right. You know, from a from a, a bigger perspective, it's it's a, it's a hard one to engage with, which yeah. is why I think we kind of avoid that. But I find that you know it's it's part of my training, so I, I feel very comfortable with that dialogue. It, the, the minute that I connect with them on that level, they start doing the work. Mm-hmm. And I, and it's, it's sort of like what you're saying, like that, that definition from the world health organization is so broad, but it's really, it's, it's like, you know, going into talk therapy, you're only there to like in, engage in, in, in this dialogue about what you're working on with somebody else, but you get outside of that session and you're still doing the work. Right. And that's, I mean, to me, I feel like that's a big part of what we're kind of, you know, digging into when we're sure. in our fields and, and talking about what health actually is to you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. If they're thinking about, I, I would, I'd rather them thinking about, I'd rather somebody leave a session with me thinking about why am I doing this mm-hmm. and really kind of diving into more of that about their own questions rather than, okay, so which supplement do I take when, and when am yeah. I supposed to go to bed? And if they're just in that tactical approach, um, the, they never get involved with the strategic approach. We we talk a little bit about this, and there's a, a great book about sort of exercise motivation, and it focuses a lot, and I wish I could tell you the title of it offhand, but the reality is is that um, they define really well like intrinsic, extrinsic motivations and, and pro-social um, motivations. So uh, extrinsic being like, oh, the scale motivates me, and so I'm, you know, I, right, I lost right. a pound, that's an extrinsic motivation, or my pants fit, extrinsic, and that's <laughs> right, like the right. lowest form of motivation intrinsic is well i want to i want to do this because i want to be a better me well that's better it's harder to define um but oftentimes we have have to move towards that pro-social like i'm doing this so that this person has a better life um and uh i'm shortcutting a lot of that but the reality is is that when we get to that motivation level it, it works really well. The challenge with jumping into it with an intake at least in our practice and yeah. made it made me different <clears throat> for you is that um I don't know where they're at yet. Right. Like I I ask questions like why have other providers or practitioners failed you? Yeah. And it's so I, I start that seed but I I don't necessarily know just to get a sense that, of what what they think has been yeah. working or not working. Yep. And I I agree. I think intake sometimes should happen over like the first four or five times that you see them because you're, you know, you're trust building and all these things. And I think, you know, sometimes people have been through enough work that they come in and they just like give you their life (laughs) and, 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 you know, a half hour intake. But most of the time I feel like it's, it's almost better to, to kind of get things started and just slowly uncover. I think we, we, we try to do things too fast sometimes think, you know, looking for results too fast. And, and I mean, I sort of look back to our conversation earlier about, about uh, being the guru or whatever is is that I I think if if you engage people in their process and get them out of that fix me mindset that they are really you know because this is one of the things that people people in, in on the holistic side really get into the whole healer dynamic mm-hmm. and I don't really think about myself as that the healer person I mean I'm sort of setting the the stage for them to do their healing work but ultimately people are going to do the work or they're not going to do the work right. And we we are there as as you know specialists to assist as as much as we possibly can and throw in as much as we possibly can. But yep. we we have our limits, right? Yeah, a, a good specialist is a, a lot like a a good uh, pitchback or a backstop that you think of like when little kids play baseball. Yeah, yeah, and they throw the ball and it, it bounces back to them. Yeah, uh, you know the good ones which have everything the the right tension and the right shape and in the right angle it it kind of comes back to them almost every time. Yeah. The bad ones, they shoot the ball off in a weird direction. So yeah. that's the difference between I think a good specialist and a bad specialist is kind of how how closely and accurately you can, you know, put the information and the the strategy back to that person looking for healing. Yeah, yeah. So if if uh, people are interested in in um tapping into some of your in- information and, and some of your specialty you have a, a, a little Facebook presence. You've done some video work. 
um, any, 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 any place you can send people for kind of understanding a little bit more about what your resource is or if they're around the Twin Cities area? Yeah, I think people can get, uh, can understand sort of my style. I did a, a series of videos uh, at an oncology s- seminar that I was um, uh, involved with. And it's the website is iHealthTube. Okay. And iHealthTube, you can just search my name, my last name, Schuler, okay. And uh, you can find uh, a handful of videos there. That's sort of how I talk and, and yeah. what I think and and how I like to work with folks. Um, my website is metaboliktreatmentcenter.com, and I love seeing people on the Facebook page. I get a, a decent interaction there, yeah. and you can just search my name on Facebook for that. Yeah, and you're pretty active, and you were, you were, I mean, just from what from what I've gathered, you're, you're pretty responsive to people's requests yeah, I, and things. Yeah, nobody answers the messages but me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, if you email us at the clinic here, you, you a number of people might answer, but if you message me on Facebook, that's... Uh, I'm going to be responding. If you message me on LinkedIn, that's that's me. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, this was great, man. Thank thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I think this is a lot of amazing resource for people, and uh, we'll we'll be we'll be following you. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. What a great guy! Another one of those people doing good work and clearly dedicated to educating the public about how to improve their health. He's got a great Facebook page. You can check him out at Dr. Corey Schuler. Thanks so much to him for taking the time to record this conversation with me, and I hope you all got something out of it as well. I love to hear from you and uh, promise to get back to your emails, uh, so keep them coming. Thanks to those of you who have supported our Patreon. Again, you can donate as little as $1 a month. Go to patreon.com forward slash highway to health. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourself. Be kind to each other and take care of the planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Beyond the Paper Gown, hosted by Dr. Mitzi Crockover, helps people think critically about women's health issues encouraging them to question and explore the complexities of healthcare systems, scientific advancements, and societal norms. There's a really cool episode that you should check out called Midday Menopause App, and that's about how AI and sensor technology can provide personalized interventions to manage menopause symptoms effectively. Check out Beyond the Paper Gown on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.